Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Console. I'm your fabulous host, Matt, and today we're going to be going a little bit more niche, and we're going to be talking about Bay Area sports. There's been a lot of crazy news that's been happening these past two weeks regarding both the 49ers and the Warriors, and we'd like to discuss a couple of those topics. But I'm not alone. I am here with my favorite Bay Area contributor, Mr. Vivek. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Matthew. How about you? I'm doing great as well, and especially great considering all the great news we got out of the San Francisco 49ers recently. So they've had a very eventful free agency period that I want to discuss with you. So um, other than the fact that we were basically able to get back the same squad, they were able to re-sign Kyle Juszczyk, Trent Williams, K1 Williams, Emmanuel Mosley, Jason Verrett, and Jaquiski Tart, as well as being able to make two acquisitions that will probably be starters in Alex Mack and Samson Ebukam. It has been a really good, uh, you know, free agency period for the Niners, at least to say the least, before we get into the big trade uh, news. Don't you think? Definitely. I think that, you know, essentially bringing back the same squad is very pivotal. I think one of the biggest things in my mind, especially, was getting back Trent Williams. He was really key to left tackle and, you know, him versus the the Niners versus the Chiefs, essentially, they were both the final two contenders for getting him. And essentially, Kyle Shanahan's relationship with Trent Williams is what eventually swayed him over and helped him come back for that massive deal that they got. And I definitely believe that that was one of the keys for offseason. And as far as free agent acquisitions go, um, I love the Abicom deal. I love signing Mac. I bring back Verrett, bring back Kyle Juszczyk. Those are all moves that we needed to make in order to keep back the same squad and keep back the same core. And I, I just really like it for the team. Yeah, and I think that a big factor in being able to re-sign all these guys, and I think you're gonna, you saw it a lot with this free agency period, is that with the COVID, um, with COVID restraining the cap a little bit, because I believe the cap actually went down this year because they didn't get any attendance for all the money and the COVID, like they couldn't, no one was buying any tickets or anything, so they had to reduce the amount of revenue that they had and therefore the amount of salary cap that they had. So it was good to, so it was harder for, I think, free agents to get bigger deals than they thought. Because I thought, you know, I thought K1 was gone. I thought Verrett was going to be gone. Tart was going to be gone. And the Niners would basically lose their entire secondary. So, but they all came back basically on one year, very cheap deals. Beneficial yeah. for the Niners now, but like, it's it's basically a holding pattern. So it's just going to bring them back one last time, see if they can do things. But if they actually perform up to their standards, they're probably going to be gone by next offseason. Definitely. And like with Verrett and um, K1 specifically, those were like one-year prove-it deals, essentially. And so it's interesting that we're holding the roster essentially the same for at least another iteration of this team. But obviously beyond that, we don't know what's exactly going to happen with the secondary per se. Or, But um, I definitely think that at least in the short term, right, uh, it's good to have back the same squad Hopefully, with everyone being a little bit more healthy, um, having some more constant, um, you know, presences, not revolving door of injuries as last season was, that can definitely help the team out. Yeah, yeah. It as long as the Niners avoid those high ankle sprints, I think that they are in a much better position than they were by week two. So it is going to be a difficult task because you know, 2019 feels like so long ago because it was literally now two years ago, and now you're going to run it back again, right? So it's hard to determine. Do you think that they have what it takes to kind of do this revenge of the revenge tour type of deal? Because Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, with the talent on both sides of the ball, 
the Niners have really good skill players now. And I believe that, you know, their defensive line has always been feared. You know, their their bread and butter in the 2019 season was, you know, having those key skill players that they had with like Debo and um, obviously Kittle. And then on the other side of the ball, you had, you did have a Buckner, you did have Bosa, um, Warner was the presence as well, Armstead emerged. So I believe that, you know, with all those guys basically still being there, say for, you know, Kinlaw replacing Buckner, I think that there is the talent that's there to make a deeper run. And you do need to have talent on both sides of the ball. For me, though, the key is going to be if you have consistency at the QB position. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but whether or not um, people stay healthy. Being healthy, that's kind of a stochastic process. You know, at the end of the day, you try your best to be healthy, but ultimately injuries are injuries. You can't necessarily predict them. But what you can sort of predict more is having a better QB room because that's been a noted weakness of the Niners for a long time now. And there's been some interesting developments regarding that as well recently. I do want to get to that point that you're making here. But I do want to argue at the same time about the running back principle because I understand what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are doing. And again, they don't have a lot of cap space. So why not bring back the same guys? They easily know the system. They're going to be able to kind of... um, more easily run Kyle Shanahan's offense, such as like Trent Williams and Juice, and not to mention they are actually good players. But at the same time, it does concern me sometimes because you see these teams, they always want to stay consistent, but they never want to move forward. And that's not how you win in the NFL. You have to constantly keep getting better. You got to constantly keep it evolving because, you know, let's say with the Broncos back in Super Bowl 48, they had a great offense loaded. Uh, with Peyton Manning, and they got blown out by the Seahawks. And then what did they do? They eventually reloaded. They got like, uh, they signed just a bunch of free agents. I believe T.J. Ward, um, Demarcus Ware, every, and they loaded up on that defense. And they basically won it all two years later in Super Bowl Fifty. You have to keep getting one of the best game. defenses ever, too. Yeah, basically, like they held like that explosive Carolina offense, and I believe Tom Brady's Patriots again, the AFC Championship game. So. Yeah, basically they had to realize they had to keep adapting and evolving. Even when Peyton Manning was basically a noodle arm at that point, they were able to win the Super Bowl. So it's evolution is key in the NFL to keep on winning games. Like you saw with the Titans last year, they made it to the AFC Championship game and they couldn't even win a wild card game this year because they kept everything the same, but they never really got better in any other categories because the NFL is constantly changing. I do agree with you, though, with the talent core of the Niners pretty much being retained in Bosa and um, Warner and Kittle and Debo. And then you add in IU. That was a great addition. So it just worries me that, you know, I don't think that they're going to hit that same ceiling as they did back in 2019 with the Super Bowl run just because mm-hmm. they brought everyone back. But, you know, maybe they could surprise me. Definitely. I think the thing is that when you have momentum as a, as a squad, as a team, then it's very easy to build forward upon that and, you know, get more notoriety and play better. I think that, you know, the first few wins of 2019, back then no one was really thinking that the Niners would be as good as they ended up being at the very end of the season. You know, people were viewing this as more of a developmental year, you know, seeing it's like, what what can these guys really do? You know, you had like George Kittle that was very good, but there were a lot of more question marks around there. There was like, oh, is Nick Bosa also going to, be impactful on the defensive end as uh, people were claiming that he would be, right? So the Niners were definitely able to build upon and have a magical season that 
was really not expected for them at the very beginning. And I think you did bring up a good point. It's very hard to reach that same level, that same, you know, Cinderella run that you had in the past, especially when considering that expectations are now a lot more different. People definitely have high expectations of the Niners, and then they're also in the NFC West, right? That's basically become the bloodbath of bloodbaths <laughs> of sports yeah. divisions, essentially. It's completely crazy. It's an absolute arms race out there. And the Cardinals were not even relevant, I think, in 2019. And then, um, and now the Rams have Matthew Stafford. And right, the Rams look relevant again. Yeah, and Seattle has Blitzboy. So, what are you going to do? <laughs> Yeah, what can you do? So it's definitely going to be a lot of question marks. Uh, whether the nine the Niners have a good t- squad, they have a talented roster, but obviously, you know what's on paper differs from what you actually can produce on the field. Look at like look at the Texans recently, right? Those type of things are always going to be there, and those are the questions that you know Kyle has to basically be responsible for. And let's see what he can do with the squad. Yeah, and I think a huge part of the championship window is that you always have that talent core there. And if you retain most of that uh, prime talent core and you are able to add a couple more franchise pieces to the mix, then you could extend that championship window by a lot more because the key to a championship window is not only um, being able to have that amount of talent, but also having that cheap talent that can replace the eventual um you know, medium pieces and starting pieces that you might leave Definitely. later on, right? Because we lost our center this year in Ben Garland, who was actually the backup for Weston Richburg, and now we signed Alex Mack, right? You need to have those consistent pieces coming back in to replace those other pieces that are always going to depart at the end of those years. So, but I think the biggest thing about Extending the championship window, of course, is having a franchise quarterback. And the 49ers have finally called their shot. Um, and they called it in a very big way. I don't think that a lot of people expected this move. I think they expected maybe a move at quarterback, but not this kind of magnitude. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, the San Francisco 49ers traded their 12th overall pick this year, as well as a third next year, as and two first-round picks in 2022 and then 2023, respectively, to the Miami Dolphins for their third overall pick. That is the only pick involved that the Dolphins are giving to the Niners in this trade. And no doubt in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's mind, as we saw in the press conference on Monday, that this is going to be for the quarterback of the future. Uh, Initial reactions for this move. Wow. I mean, when I first heard the news, I was completely flabbergasted because, first of all, I do think that, you know, the way that John Lynch has kind of proceeded as a GM, he hasn't really been, he's made a lot of draft day trades, but never as one as aggressive as this. And I definitely do like the stance in which he's approaching this angle, right? The fact is that you have to have a rookie quarterback on a cheap contract in order to extend the con- in order to extend a Super Bowl window. That's basically been like a suddenly accepted fact over the past couple of years, especially considering the fact that when you have a lot of free agents that are signed, um you know, you you frequently see great quarterbacks not able to go far because they don't really have good skill players around them. Aaron Rodgers is a prime example of that until very recently like with the emergence of Jones and Devontae Adams, right? So, you have to basically play with what you have and Getting a, a rookie quarterback, like a quarterback on a rookie deal, those are basically like the prime assets that you can do. 
or the prime moves that you can make in order to build a team and have like a Super Bowl run. So I really like the approach that he's doing. So there's the other thing that you can also consider though is that the Bears recently, you know, when, once they tr- basically traded away or let go of Mitchell Trubisky, uh, they basically made the trade up with the Niners for Mitchell Trubisky essentially for the rights to draft him, thinking the same thing. Uh, Ryan Pace thought, okay, we're going to go trade up all this capital in order to get a quarterback that's good on a rookie deal. And so that was a good move in theory, but obviously uh, Trubisky didn't really pan out for the Bears. So it obviously goes both ways. You do more get a lot of capital in making a move like this, but also if you hit, you hit definitely hit. Yeah, I mean, the value of a franchise quarterback is immeasurable, right? You would trade, I would trade 10 first round picks for Patrick Mahomes this instant right now, right? And you can't say that a lot about a lot of other players. But he's the MVP, and if you have a guy like that um, starting for your team, you can always make the Super Bowl. You're always in championship contenders. You know the talent core is obviously always important to get help them get him there, but you're always in the mix when you have that kind of guy on your team, right? Aaron Rodgers, even without Devonte Adams and Aaron Jones, he was still able to kind of push a mediocre Packer team to potential playoff contention. Right. So if you always have that kind of guy. That's a guy that I would always risk first-round picks for because, again, you're trying to win a championship here. You're always trying to compete every year. So when you have these, like, so first-round picks are only valuable if they contribute towards getting you that championship. I think three-round first-round picks is definitely like worth it, and it's just only one pick each time. It's not like they gave up three whole drafts to get um, this one person. They're still going to be able to get some capital. They're still going to be able to trap some players around this new quarterback, um, and I am more than willing to take the risk, as long as it's the right guy, of course. Definitely. I think that's the thing, right? (laughs) Like, in a vacuum, it's obviously good to make a trade, but, you know, you want to draft a guy that you can believe in and that can be potentially your franchise QB for years to come. So it's the pressure is definitely on Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in order to nail who they're going to select. And so that's the basic thing that's the bottleneck, right? It's obviously worth giving up so much capital for a guy like Patrick Mahomes or Watson. We were almost able, to, we were almost about to do it, from what I've heard. But obviously, you know, the tides have turned. I personally would have preferred getting Deshaun Watson because he's a known asset or known commodity before all of the allegations came out about him, mm-hmm. and his trade feature is kind of still in the mix right now. But this is probably the next best thing that we can do in the short term. And making a trade for our future QB is definitely worth it in my eyes. Yeah, I think it went um, in my order of preference because we've been talking about this for a while um, on how we would be able to change our quarterback. Um, There's all kinds of different things. You know, people wanted Stafford or they wanted to trade for Aaron Rodgers, which is ridiculous. But being able to get like any kind of quarterback in that room um, I'm just glad it's not Andy Dalton or Mitch Trubisky. That's all, <laughs> thank that's God, great. thank God. And then we also have um, we also had basically trading for Teddy Bridgewater, which is also awful. And then you know those kinds of trades for veteran quarterbacks, they're okay, I guess, but I don't think they would solve the main problem of you have a championship window. How are you going to be able to extend it? You get another guy in there, maybe it elevates your ceiling, but it also um, potentially, you know, some of those older guys, they have to learn the system a little bit. They're not going to work right away. And then once you already paid up a lot for them, 
they're not getting any younger. So you really have to support those guys, right? Like a Matthew Stafford. So that was kind of low on my list. And then I think drafting a rookie quarterback was my second uh, best idea. Like, I think that was the second best idea that they could have done. Uh, first was obviously trading for Watson. So since, you know, that's out the window, I think, you know, getting an unproven commodity over a proven commodity, that's not the best thing. But you got to work with what you have right now. And I think the best available option for them was being able to draft a rookie quarterback. You get that rookie contract, which is the most the best part about this thing, because now you can shit off Jimmy's salary, and then that's $20 million plus off the books uh, every for the next two years. I think they're going to keep him, though. But um, you draft that guy. Unless someone wants to trade a first for Jimmy Ooh. G, that is. Yes. <laughs> Everyone wants to trade a first. Everyone wants Jimmy G. I'm hearing a lot of sources. Everyone wants to trade for Jimmy G. Especially after the thro- that throw to Sanders in the Super Bowl, everyone wants him. Yeah, they were like, gotta have me some of that. But can't miss, can't miss guy, dude. But can't. here's the thing, right? Even with a veteran QB, like if you brought in a guy like, let's say, Andy Dalton or even Mitch Trubisky, mm-hmm. I would have preferred to still keep Jimmy in that situation because at least he knows how to run the Shanahan offense. He's known to play like for that much time more than Dalton does. So I, I think that definitely, obviously, Watson was the preferred choice but i think that we have to think about what time we're in and this is a temporal decision right we have to basically make our decision in the scope of where we're currently at and that's why this move was in my eyes kyle and john they really thought about what they want to do with this team and they're basically pushing their chips in the middle and saying hey we're going to be making a run trying to do that right now so definitely a good choice so moving forward and thinking a little bit about the prospects available in the third pick, right, for our future QB uh, is for the Niners. Who do you think are your preferences right now? Okay, I will talk about my preferences, and then I will talk to you about how Kyle and John, I believe, are thinking how this would work. Because they have left a couple of clues as to who... Um, And then I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat and basically interpret those clues and make it into a whole different like theory on my own. Yeah, it sure. Fit my narrative. So here we go. Preferably, I would like to draft either Justin Fields or Trey Lance. That's just the bottom line right there, and I'll explain a little bit more why later. But let me drop the two clues that I believe Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were um, signaling when they made this trade. The first thing was that the first uh, relevant piece of information that I think we have to gather here is that Shanahan and Lynch were trying to trade um, up for any of the first three picks i think it was like number three number four number five number six they never contacted the jets apparently from what their sources said but they contacted the falcons they contacted um i don't remember who was next the bengals i believe and they were saying hey um we want to trade up for your pick and then eventually they were able to get the dolphins to agree to their trade so they were trying to trade up for any of those three picks so that means that the first two quarterbacks off the board, they're either comfortable with the first two quarterbacks going off the board, and they also believed, I think, that they were trading up to get a guy, right? They were trading up to get one of the guys that they looked at, and they said, he's going to go in the top 10. We got to go up and get him right now. But they didn't believe that he would automatically be one or two, right? Because if he was automatically one or two, they'd probably at least talk to the Jets, try to see and figure things out. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's probably not going to be one of the top two quarterbacks on the board. Now, your interpretation of who's number two on that list is up to you, right? Trevor Lawrence is obviously number one, but we have to assume that maybe Zach Wilson 
or Trey uh, or Justin Fields is number two in that list. So if we could deduce that, then we say, okay, the next quarterback off the board, he could have been gone to any of these other teams, right? Atlanta, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Miami, they probably weren't going to draft a quarterback anyway, but they needed a top, they needed to get the third overall quarterback, basically, from the consensus on their list, right? So they weren't targeting, like, they think that this guy was going to land in the top 10 no matter what, but they just didn't think he was going to be number two. The second thing I want to point out is that they are going to keep Jimmy G around. So, you know, obviously this could be a lie because they've been saying Jimmy G's our guy the entire time this uh, offseason. And he is, I guess, technically you could still call Right him now he's guy. still the guy. I guess. Yeah. yeah I but... mean, he's not going to be the guy in the future, but yeah. that's basically been established. But right now, you know, considering how complex the Shanahan offense is, I would want to keep Jimmy around for yeah. another year. And it's still that philosophy of being able to run it back because you are still conceivably putting your signal caller out there, the same signal caller that got you to the Super Bowl, and every Jimmy G fan says, we win games with Jimmy G. And however you want to interpret that is fine, but they do win games with Jimmy G, and I think Shanahan knows that too, so he wants to put that guy out there. No rookie quarterback has ever led his team to the Super Bowl, so I'm pretty sure that he wants to allow the rookie to develop behind Jimmy G, just like Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes sat behind Smith for a year. He said it really helped him out. And then, what do you know? He's like an MVP. He's already won a Super Bowl ring, unfortunately. And he <laughs> is really just like the franchise, face of the franchise, face of the NFL, I think, at this point. Honestly, like he's the Steph, Steph Curry of the NFL. Yeah. God damn it. But either way. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is, you know. Yeah, so. No one really thought that Mahomes would be like that coming out of college, but no, that's another debate for another day. Exactly. But the point is that he was able to develop and advance his progression so much as an NFL QB learning under a guy like Alex Smith. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo is definitely one of those guys who can teach or maybe help mentor a rookie quarterback learning the Shanahan offense and learning how to, you know, make the progressions and, you know, digest the playbook essentially. And not just that too, but Jimmy Garoppolo is essentially incredibly key to revitalizing the Niners culture to begin with. You know, we obviously saw that one run in 2017 after he got traded from New England where he helped revitalize the culture and made, you know, San Francisco football something to think about or think about is maybe like a potential team to look out for in the future. And he's a great culture guy by all accounts. George Kittle loves him. A lot of the teammates love Jimmy Garoppolo. They view him as the unquestionable leader. No one's, even through all of his injuries, no one questioned his stance and his, you know, presence in the locker room. So by all accounts, I think that this is also Kyle Shanahan saying to the veteran players and the players in the locker room that Jimmy Garoppolo would do acknowledge the role he's played in developing the Niners culture. And not just that, but also in basically being a guy that people feel comfortable with, right? The winning percentage, while, you know, it's become sort of a meme at this point, there's definitely something to take away in the sense that players do feel comfortable playing around him. And confidence in a quarterback is really key to an NFL locker room. That's pretty much the key to running a team. Yeah, and, you know, no doubt Jimmy had a lot of impact, I think, on the culture and Niners fans should still always be grateful for him for what he's absolutely franchise. He's the fourth quarterback in 49ers history to take the team to the Super Bowl. You have to be grateful for that, right? So, yes, best of luck to Jimmy, no matter what. I do wonder whether he will mentor the new guy just because of his similarly frosty relationship to uh, 
you know, Tom Brady, he might be the same as Tom Brady, and he might feel a little bit cheated about this. But, you know, hopefully he does mentor the guy. But I think that this also signals the fact that Kyle Shanahan believes that this guy does need to be trained a little bit. I think he sees that he needs to sit him for a little bit. And yes, you could um, claim that it, it, there's a chance that, you know, he might just think Jimmy could be our guy for the year. And we run it back again, see what we can do with this same squad. But I think at the same time, he thinks that this guy, if you sit him for a year on the bench, and he gets to learn a little bit, he gets to NFL speed, then you release him out there like Patrick Mahomes, and he's going to be a baller. So I think, again, for the first part of um, what I saw in the facts was that I think it would lean towards Justin Fields because Justin Fields, there's talk of Zach Wilson going number two, but that means Justin Fields would be number three. And right, and I think Zach Wilson to the Jets is all but confirmed at this point. Yeah, I'm a little bit more hesitant to claim that right now because draft rumors be crazy, man. Sam Darnold was the first overall pick, supposedly, until he wasn't. So I don't know, but I think Justin Fields would uh, be the third quarterback, obviously, off the board if Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence were taken off. And I think Kyle Shanahan knew that he would not leave the top 10, so he had to trade up and get him. I think if you wanted to go in terms of the potential, right, and having Jimmy Garoppolo train a young uh, player who's got a lot um, but is unproven at this point and needs a year on the bench, then I think it's Trey Lance. because I Definitely think Trey Lance, Lance. Yeah. yeah. Trey Lance has got enormous athletic prowess and potential. He's got a huge arm, but he's only played against, you know, FCS, basically, football. He didn't get to play a lot at North Dakota State. He opted out this season. He was only a sophomore, though, and he was basically, and people are claiming that he's a top uh, quarterback prospect. As a sophomore, he was 19 in that season, and he's only 20 now. You can sit that guy on the bench, and you can develop him. And if you develop him the right way, and you don't throw him out there game one, he's going to be a monster, I think. So it's really, I think it's dependent basically upon either Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I think those are the quarterbacks the Niners could be targeting. I can't give you the definitive answer yet. Stay tuned for that because I'm no savant. But I think that just based off the signs that the Niners were indicating, I think those two are the ones that he could, Kyle Shanahan could be targeting. I think right now the two quarterbacks that have received the most attention by the 49ers brass, definitely Fields for sure, but also Mac Jones. I mean, Ugh. Kyle and John watched him in person during his pro day. But then again, like the Niners lead scout, um, I don't remember the name off the top of my head. Adam he Peters. went to see Adam Peters, right? He went to see uh, Justin Fields in person. So I think that the problem with Lance, though, is that while he does have enormous athletic potential, he has a great arm, he has great speed, and he can definitely like carve through a defense with his legs. The issue with him is that he doesn't have very good accuracy, and he isn't very proven in that. Also, he doesn't know how to navigate the pocket as well. Usually when the pocket scrambles, he doesn't like to extend the play with his arm, he looks to basically scramble out of the pocket and just try to run. You know, I definitely think that he could become someone who can use that scrambling ability, not just to go for a run, but to, you know, break out of the pocket and then try to extend the play with this long arm. He definitely has great, great potential in the fact that I think out of all the quarterbacks in this draft, he has definitely one of the highest ceilings out of everyone. I, I think that he would definitely be a really big project, though. I think it would take two or three, maybe even four years even, to develop and fix his mistakes and 
his flaws as of now. It still feels like a Josh Allen type of um, developmental project. You know, you're going to need good personnel around you in order to help fix those mistakes. And also, you need to sit, sit like a lot on the bench too and learn the offense as well. Because playing under Kyle Shanahan, even though it's a quarterback-friendly offense, it definitely isn't the easiest to learn as a rookie too. So I think that when it comes to Trey Lance, right, considering how the Niners want to go for it, basically now, I don't think that Trey Lance would necessarily be the pick that the Niners are going for. And I think their relative lack of, you know, tying the 49ers brass to Trey Lance, that also makes sense as well. I don't necessarily think that they're considering him as heavily as they are Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Yeah, and I like Justin Fields. I think that he would be a great pick at yeah at number three overall. And I think he's a safe pick at number three overall. But at the same time, you know, you don't make a safe pick at number three overall after trading two first-round picks plus the other pick this year and a third-round pick next year because if you draft, if you trade up to get a guy, and I'm not even saying Justin Fields is, um, I think he is the safest pick, but if you draft a guy like Mac Jones at number three overall, you're just wasting you know, <laughs> draft capital at that point. But um, yeah, you try to get you try to get the best player on the board because the best player on in you're trying to you said basically when you are trading three first round picks, you are basically saying you're gonna get the best player in this draft at number three overall, and you're gonna be able to, and he's gonna make all those picks worth it, right? And I think that Justin Fields, he has the potential to be the franchise guy, and I think he's gonna be a good quarterback. I think he's gonna yeah, be definitely. perfectly fine. I think he's gonna be in that top, his ceiling is a top 10 kind of quarterback range. Like I, I see him like in the same way that um, Dak Prescott impacts the team, right? He's a good mm-hmm. quarterback. He's going to make all the throws you need him to uh, make. Um, no one's going to consider him to be like a huge stat monster and stuff like that, but they're going to be like, everyone's clear that yes, he's a good quarterback. I see Trey Lance as more of that boomer bust guy. Like you said, he has the potential to just be a complete bust. And I mm-hmm. get that, you know, again, he hasn't really faced a lot of competition outside of, you know, North Dakota State. You know, it's not a big college. And Carson well, Carson wants to go there yeah. too. So there's <laughs> yeah. that. And so I don't know what's going on there. They're like a quarterback factory at this point. But um, you do like I do agree. He does. Um, he does tend to trust his legs a lot more than his arms sometimes. But I do think that he can adjust it. And again, this he has just so much potential already, and he hasn't even thrown that many passes already. So the fact that people are already saying, "Wow, look at that arm! Look at the decisions he's making." Um, I think he has the potential to get better. And if you're really looking for a boom guy, I feel like Trey Lance could be the best quarterback in this draft class. Yes, even over Trevor Lawrence, just because of how much potential he has. Definitely. Um, and he like, I would put him at least is equal to Trevor Lawrence in terms of potential. Like, yeah. if you view, like, their absolute ranges from, like, you know, boom to bust, I-, I think that Trey Lance's peak is definitely really, really high. And you have that potential because, and he has that kind of Patrick Mahomes ability, I think. Like, I think that he could elevate himself all the way up into the top five quarterbacks um, in the league in his prime, right? So, if he puts I, it all together, I, I do yeah, think if so. If he puts it all together, that is, you know. That's a very big if, though. Exactly. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes was a big if, too, as well. He was a big risk to trade up uh, for as well and give up a first round pick. I saw a lot of Kaepernick in him, too, and I see a lot of Kaepernick in Trey Lance's weaknesses as well yeah but man if he does put it all together i think he's just going to be the most dangerous quarterback and 
I hope if we don't draft him, he is in the AFC because I do not have to deal with that. I do not want to deal with that. And do you know how much shit we'd get if <laughs> if we didn't draft him? <laughs> yeah, that we would we would not stop hearing about it. Yeah, especially if we draft Mac Jones. Let's oh talk my about god, the third quarterback. <sighs> Here we go. Here we go. So here's the thing with Mac, right? Okay. I like Mac. Oh, I think okay. Mac Mac is not. Mac is not someone who's going to have a high ceiling. And I think that's what everyone just kind of come to agree upon. I think that Mac Jones is a good processor. I definitely think that he knows how to work his progressions very quickly. He's pretty accurate with the ball, more or less. He has a pretty good arm um, all by all accounts. He had really accurate uh, throws. And he really was able to put the ball over the place for them in Alabama. But here's the thing, right? He also played for Alabama. So how much of the production can we really ascribe to Mac Jones when you have Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, and, you know, an Alabama's O-line, and then Najee Harris, too. So, of course, you're going to have a lot of elevation and inflation in your statistics. Now, here's the other thing, right? You traded up two picks for a guy. And also, I mean, you gave up your 12th number 12 but no one's really counting that it's the thing about the future right you trade up that much because you think you can get a guy that you couldn't get at number three or at number 12 i think that mac jones is someone who you don't trade to number three four but maybe like number nine or number 10 you probably could get them around maybe that range but if you trade up for number three to get him that's definitely a really huge reach especially considering the fact that mac jones doesn't show that same athletic ability that the, he doesn't show an arm strength or an arm capability that you know Trey Lance or Justin Fields doesn't have. He may be more pro ready in terms of his progressions, but even the progressions knock on you know Justin Fields. I think that's extremely overhyped and he's over criticized for that as well. So I don't really see what Mac Jones offers in the next five years that Justin Fields couldn't. You like Mac Jones? Like I hate Mac Jones. I am willing to say it. I hate Mac Jones, and I do not think he's going to be a franchise quarterback. I think he, he won't. I, I I agree with that. I think if someone gets hurt and then he comes in, technically he is a starting quarterback, but I don't think that he would be a long-term starting quarterback anytime soon. I hate him. I hate him. But don't worry, Mac. That could happen to anyone. I am usually wrong about these things. Either way, I'm going to trash on you now. Like... You could. I didn't even want the Niners to take Mac Jones at 12th overall because, you know, I just didn't see him as a franchise guy and just wasting a 12th overall, the 12th overall pick on this guy that's clearly not going to be your franchise quarterback, in my opinion, would just be a mistake to have. Now you're telling me that you traded two first-round picks plus the 12th plus the 2022 third-round pick to go up all the way to number three. You expect the franchise quarterback. Now, you expect... That's the kicker to me, yeah. yeah. You expect the guy who's going to take you to multiple Super Bowls, not Mac McCorkle Jones. <laughs> Michael McCorkle Jones. <laughs> McCorkle. No, no <laughs> franchise quarterback is ever going to be called McCorkle. I'm sorry. I, you make I the rules, man. I understand why you shorten your name to Mac because this is ridiculous. Like, who named you? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry for all the smack if you ever listen. But um, I just don't see anything. Like, I don't understand why people are hyping him up because he left a lot on the field that um, left a lot to be desired, I think. 
considering he had Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith, he basically ran the same offense Tua just did at a lower level. And, you know, obviously he won the national championship. That's nice and all. But what could you really, you know, count him as the reason why when Devonta Smith had, what, like 300 yards in the game? So, and you had to see, if you look at a lot of Mac Jones throws, don't just look at the highlights. Never look at the highlights when you're, uh, when you're scouting a guy because it literally says highlights. That's not how you accurately determine whether a guy is good or not. So take a look at all the game film. Look at the throws Mac Jones is making. How many times do you have to see Devonta Smith adjust and struggle to kind of adjust himself to make, catch those uh, passes? If anything, Matt, Devonta uh, Smith's draft stock should be rising all the way to number one considering how much of a carry job he's doing for Mac Jones right now. Because you have literally a Heisman winning wide receiver and somehow the quarterback is getting more hype than him right now. It's always like that. And I think it's just a matter of draft day rumors and a lot of just propaganda basically saying, oh, you know, let's just keep hyping up Mac Jones because we're bored of talking about the same two guys all the time. And Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence, you know. Let's just hype it's up prospect Mac fatigue for, for sure. And then it's like, oh, yeah, the Niners should draft Mac Jones at number 12 and then somehow oh the Niners should draft Mac Jones at number three is there really yeah no one better right yeah so so here's the case for Mac right the case for Mac is that I don't really see him as being the franchise guy Mm -hmm. but rather the guy who has the ability to immediately slot in to the role of what Jimmy Garoppolo does for the Niners and I think that's probably the benefit and the appeal to Mac that Kyle and John may see in him, right? He's probably a guy that can slot in pretty seamlessly, more or less. He can basically make the throws that Jimmy Garoppolo can make. And he's shown better arm ability than Jimmy Garoppolo has. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo's deep ball, uh, we've we've talked about it enough by now. We all know what the story is with that. So even Mac Jones, in my opinion, is still an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo when it's all said and done. But that's a different story, right? The, the thing that really bugs me is with having... Mac Jones is number three overall, is that, like you said, right, the amount of capital they've given up for this guy is ludicrous. And he's definitely not someone that's able to immediately, like, maybe maybe I'm judging too quickly. You never know how these prospects turn out, right? But judging on paper, right, on paper, we don't see anything that indicates that Mac Jones has a ceiling uh, that other quarterbacks in this draft don't. And that's just the thing that completely makes it a done deal for me at the end of the day. That's the reason why I shouldn't draft Mac Jones at number three. He's just simply not someone who we want to draft when there are other players, other quarterbacks who have similar floors and much higher ceilings, in my opinion. Yeah, you get, let's like, oh, let's pick the guy with the lowest floor and the lowest ceiling. That's the best idea in the world. Let's phone up John Lynch right now and just call Mac Jones his agent because we're already going to draft him. That is the dumbest. <laughs> like, it's just so dumb. Like, oh, we want the next. Like, do you know how stupid it is for Kyle Shanahan to say, yes, we want the next Jimmy Garoppolo. So we're going to ditch the old Jimmy and we're going to get ourselves a new Jimmy. Because but I hey, I mean, to like be fair, we could do. to be fair, Jimmy Garoppolo, if he made that throw to Sanders, like we were talking about before. Yeah. God. Yeah, it is what it is, man. Yes. I I probably he didn't adjust. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, dude. I it, it still pains me to think about that memory. Like I'm I'm getting flashbacks right now. But yes. the point is that like, you know, we need to get, move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, and we need to get a quarterback that can essentially make that look justified for our future. And so 
who do you pick? I don't really see <laughs> Mac Jones being the solution that Jimmy Garoppolo, he doesn't provide much more than Jimmy Garoppolo does. I think that especially with like, you know, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, both with their legs, right? You know, their athletic quarterbacks, that's where you see that you can see some difference, right? And Cal Shanahan hasn't really had the ability to play with an athletic quarterback for a pretty long time now. Like, you know, you have Matt Ryan and then Jimmy Garoppolo. Those aren't really guys that he, uh, you know, are super athletic that can run the ball. But, you know, with Robert Griffin the third, uh, you, you saw that ability right there, right? So yeah. you unlock a different aspect of your playbook when you have another guy like Fields or uh, Lance. The funny thing is that they didn't even want RG3. Snyder wanted RG3. And um, Shanahan... They wanted, Shanahan, they wanted Kirk. They wanted, yeah, they wanted Kirk. <laughs> they drafted Kirk anyway. And so um, and then they made him into a Pro Bowl player as well. Like, I think Shanahan clearly had a prototype at first. He thought, you know, statue quarterbacks in the pocket make the you know, necessary throws. Um, that's perfectly fine. And he's been able to um, elevate those guys, I think, to their best potential, right? Matt Ryan became an MVP candidate. Matt Schaub became great when he was the offensive coordinator with the Texans. He made Brian Hoyer look good for the Browns for a hot minute before, you know, it all went to shit. But then, and then he also, you know, elevated Jimmy G to a Super Bowl starter as well. Like, he is able to do good with those quarterbacks. He's able to, like, make them into better players. Imagine what he could do with a guy who's already a dual threat, right? He has seen his father. His father trained guys like Steve Young and John Elway and won them Super Bowls. What do you think Kyle Shanahan could do with a mobile quarterback? I feel like that that's the thing here, right? All these draft experts and all these people are saying, yes, you can win. And this is a Kyle Shanahan type of guy, Mac McCorkle Jones, that he could stand in the pocket, he could deliver those, he's a statue. Yes. But what if you had that guy who could still do all of that, have a better arm than that, and is more accurate? That's Justin Fields right there. And let's not even forget, okay, Mac Jones only has one season of starting experience. Justin Fields has multiple seasons. Mac Jones has literally done nothing to improve his stock. His pro days sucked. (laughs) Like, I don't understand what, why. Honestly, like, I watched his pro day, and I was more impressed by Najee and Devonta Smith than I was with Mac Jones himself. Exactly. He saw, did you see one of those overthrows he made in the pro? <laughs> yeah, I did. And then, uh, there's this meme where Shanahan goes back, and it's like PTSD. Like, come on, Kyle, you've seen this in person. Why? And obviously, it's like the Bill Belichick head shaking when he sees the Mac overthrow. Yeah. That one meme. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, right? You know, even with Mac Jones, he, he even with his arm strength, you don't know. Like he's not a can't miss prospect that being a statue quarterback, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it wouldn't make any sense if Justin Fields is still on that board, then you draft him. If Zach Wilson is on that board, you draft him definitely over Mac Jones. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, Trey Lance is a bigger decision. I'd still draft Trey Lance over Mac Jones because of the ceiling, but do not draft Mac Jones, John Lynch. Swear to God. Ah, yeah. Geez. I think I'd have a meltdown, and you'd have to tune into that next podcast to uh, see that happen. Oh, maybe it'll, it'll be a fun one. It'll yeah, be maybe, a fun one, man. Maybe you all want that. Maybe you all want to be like, you guys are sick people, and you want me to melt down on our podcast. <laughs> maybe being a Niners fan has to be pain after all. So if uh, Mac, if Mac comes in, man, I, 
it comes in this in the red and gold, I wouldn't be too surprised. Let me just put it that way. I don't want to. I want. I will be extremely surprised. Like, it has to be a smokescreen. Just please, please let it be a smokescreen. Man, I I pray, man. I I really do because this window, like our. I don't know, man. If you draft Mac Jones, I I don't know what to tell you. You can't afford to screw up at this point. You know how uh, like how much shit the Bears get for drafting Trubisky over Mahomes and Watson, and then he they traded they only traded uh third uh future third I think, and their you know third overall pick. Just yeah, I mean the real sin to me is not really drafting Trubisky over Mahomes because we like we were talking about before the priors on Mahomes were really in thin air. But it's drafting him over Watson specifically. And then the Bears trying to go for him or uh yeah, Russell Wilson afterwards. Yeah. It <laughs> it's pretty telling at the mistake that they knew that they made. Yeah, I'd imagine that I'd say like Deshaun Watson was kinda like the Justin Fields of this draft. And I'd say uh, Yeah, he was Patrick, can't miss. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is like the Trey Lance. He was the more boomer bust. And then Mitch Trubisky is the Mac Jones of this draft. Like he he rose for no reason again one season wonder, it doesn't make any sense. But yet the media hyped him up to an extent that he was drafted over a national champion. <laughs> yeah, and I really and people, the thing with Trubisky that I also didn't understand was that he wasn't even that good in UNC. No, like, he wasn't. He really wasn't. Yeah, and what he got? They what? They finished second place to a Clemson team. Hmm. Who was the quarterback for that? Country? And and he also elevated Solomon Thomas's draft stock because Solomon Thomas, like he suddenly looked like a beast against Trubisky in the bowl game. And then you know John Lynch being Solomon Thomas Solly's <laughs> classmate, he was like, okay, this is a done deal. I'm going to drop my my classmate, number three overall. So Trubisky kind of done us dirty in both ways. Yeah, he screwed us. Uh, even if we didn't draft him, <laughs> ridiculous. Yes, let's just all draft our classmates. That's the way to, <laughs> that's the way to create a winning that, That's the way we do it. Stand oh. man. Yep. I think Justin Fields should be the guy. Wouldn't be surprised. And it wouldn't be sad or mad if they draft Trey Lance or Zach Wilson. But I think Fields is a little bit more probable at this point. I'd say 55-45. Definitely. I still think there's a Trey Lance chance. Okay, so I think we've exhausted the 49ers talk for today. So we're going to move on to the Golden State Warriors. Um, oh, boy. Our good old friends, the Golden State Warriors. We haven't talked about the Warriors in a while. We haven't talked about them in a long time. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about, to say the least. There hasn't been much to talk about, unfortunately, for the Warriors for a year, I guess. But now they had this... Well, let's recap from the last time we talked about the Warriors. They got the second overall pick. They drafted James Wiseman. Clay Thompson got hurt again. And he's out for the season again. So now it's Steph Curry and Draymond Green versus the world. Except they are all usually both hurt. Um, and it has been an unfortunate kind of season for the Warriors. Once again, they are not back to that championship caliber team that we saw for those last five years. But, you know, they're kind of a middling playoff team. They're trying to get into the play-in round. They just lost to the Atlanta Hawks uh, this Sunday by six. And um, it's been a very up-and-down season, I think, to say the least. And let's just talk about the trade deadline here for a second um, that occurred last week. The Warriors didn't make a lot of big moves that you know we were expecting. There was no huge move like D'Lo to the Timberwolves this time. But they did trade Brad Wanamaker and Marquise Chris for cash considerations, our good old friend. 
and um, it was to alleviate a lot of that luxury tax. Um, do you like those moves, by the way? Do you think that they made the right decision there? Yeah, so I think that the trade trading Wanamaker, <laughs> it's addition by subtraction, really. I think Wanamaker was definitely one of our worst free agent acquisitions in a really long time. I mean, he did not really contribute anything on offense, but by all means, he didn't really show anything that was, you know, positive more or less to the Golden State Warriors when they played on the floor. So I'm glad he's gone. I think he's on the Hornets now. And with Marquise Chris specifically, I mean, he's a guy who's had intriguing potential. You know, he was drafted very early. He's kind of bounced around a lot of teams. He's had some good games here and there. He's kind of small for a center, but he's shown some, you know, finishing ability and ability to cut to the paint and not just that, but also he has some skill as a playmaker and passing it big as well. So I definitely do feel a little bit more sad that he's gone. But, you know, I mean, we're trying to develop Wiseman anyway. And frankly, Marquis Chris wasn't really someone who was needed with the emergence of Eric giving more minutes too. So honestly, that's a wash as well. So by all means, we're kind of saving up more space. And, you know, that's kind of good for the team in the short term, at least, if they want to make a splash in free agency, if they're even able to get more money to sign a free agent then. So I think the bigger story, though, is with Ubre, right? You know, Ubre's had a lot of buzz for a while now around the trade deadline as to if he was going to get traded or not. And this is a big deal because the thing with Ubre is that weren't going to get this was like their time to get assets from him because he's an expiring, from what I understand. So the fact that they didn't trade Kelly Ubre now means that the Warriors probably want to keep him around for their future, um, you know, team composition, really. Yeah, and. I am a little bit hesitant to say the least on that. I understand the situation they're in, right? They're pretty cap-strapped at this point, and it's hard to get good players in when you don't have any money. And um, especially when probably the next guy is probably not going to get a starting role as well with the team. So you got to be creative, right? They got the trade exception from the Andre Iguodala trade, and they used it to acquire Uber, right? And... It was a good move, I guess, because it helps them compete. You know, technically, you weren't going to have... It's not like they traded any players or anything. They had... Um, they just got another guy on the bench, and Ubre was probably going to be better than the 12th man on the bench. So that's good, right? And you had to start someone in terms of... Uh, because Clay's uh, sudden injury, so you had to get a guy in there to play alongside Steph, um, help that backcourt a little bit. But at the same time, I just don't see Ubre as a very impactful player in terms of winning. I think he has had his moments. I think he's had his flashes. He's incredibly athletic. He's just that slashing kind of guy that you want on your team. But at the same time, I just don't think he has enough of a good impact. Sometimes like when you see those losses, he is usually the blame, I feel like. He's always like a big factor in who to blame for the losses. And it was a surprise, I think, I would have traded Ubre just because of the fact that the Warriors were trying to alleviate their cap and luxury tax amount of money that they could spend again later. But if you were going to do that, why don't you start with the guy that's going to cost you like $80 million in the luxury tax? Ubre is not a pretty penny. Like he is ridiculously expensive. And are you really getting the value that you're trying to get 
from him right now as an expiring contract. I don't think he's contributing enough to warrant keeping him for a playoff run, right? We know that they're not going to make the championship. They're probably not going to be in championship contention this year. So, and Ubre has not even shown a huge commitment towards staying. He wants to start. And that should be, you know, heavily questioned, by the way. But it's just very baffling to me that they didn't trade Ubre. I would have traded him just because if you're trying to leave that salary cap and if you're trying to win, then Ubre has, is not standing in the way of those, right? He would help probably if you traded him for assets. Yeah, and the issue though with Ubre is that he does offer some skills that are immediate positives, like you said. I think the main thing being his athleticism and effort on defense. He's able to frequently guard the opponent's best player a lot of the time, Draymond Green, but Draymond Green kind of slowing down and not being able to really guard wings as effectively as he used to. He kind of likes to bang down more low in the paint rather than hunt on in the perimeter these days. Um, I definitely think that Ubre is definitely really valuable, along with Wiggins too, but that's a different story. Just focusing on Ubre right now, he's also a pretty good slasher, and he's he can he can have this nice where he gets really hot and you win the game off of him. But the issue with Ubre, as he kind of mentioned before, is that he kind of is a middling overall player in the sense that you don't know what you're gonna really get out of him. He makes really questionable decisions playing basketball sometimes, like. I don't know if he knows that basketball is a team game, but even back in his days with the Suns, right, and the Wizards, he shows some jaw-dropping athleticism. But then again, it, it almost feels like he's playing basketball like 1v9 because he doesn't really get his teammates involved all too much. And that's also another issue to me, like how well he fits the scheme that Kerr likes to usually run like with the motion offense. You kind of saw the struggles, those growing pains in the beginning. But they were, they were really, really bad considering Ubre's skill set versus how the Warriors like to usually play. So I do think that it's not a perfect fit, Ubre, on the Warriors. But at this point, you kind of have to roll with what you've got. And I think the Warriors don't really see anyone that they immediately like over Kelly Ubre. And I think that's kind of the main reason why they did end up keeping him. Um, I did hear some rumblings about Alonzo Ball versus Alonzo Ball trade in which we also dig and the Pelicans get Ubre. And I thought that was pretty intriguing. But, you know, those talks never really materialized further. And so Ubre has said consistently that he wants to stay with the Warriors and that he wants to find a home. Maybe the Warriors can beat that. But I think Kelly Ubre himself knows that, like, there needs to be work that needs to be done in the season. I mean, he's usually, like, the second or third leading scorer in the team every night. But, you know, it, it takes kind of more than just having some good nights offensively and, like, pretty okay defense, like, consistently to, like, be a positive player on a championship team, in my opinion. He needs to, basically, I think the Warriors' best chance of using Ubre is to have him in that Iguodala kind of role as the guy off the bench but an instant spark. But yeah, the, the main extremely huge contrast between Iguodala and Ubre is that Iguodala is one of the smartest players in the game in terms of basketball right. IQ. So it would and Ubre is feels like the complete opposite at times. Yeah. But basically, you just need that guy off the bench who could provide that spark. Um, and you know, it's probably not going to be an Iguodala in this case. But they, I think that's what the Warriors envision at the very least is that he would be a six man. And let's not forget, Kelly Ubre is twenty five too. I mean, his best days are definitely ahead of him, and 
over the, the first few seasons, he's only improved as a player since coming out of Kansas. So I'm going to give him some slack in that sense. And the fact that he, he's shown really good traits of what you want out of an NBA player that can play at a high level. Yeah. There's still a lot of potential. The future is pretty bright for him. And he's got a lot of years left in this league. So it's not the end of the world. But I think the Warriors will have to make a very interesting decision. And Kelly Oubre will have to really evaluate himself. Um as he enters his free agency period. So let's move on to another player that we might have to be concerned about here, and that's James Wiseman. You know, the 19-year-old center out of Memphis, pick second overall. I think everyone thought it was a pretty good pick at the time, and it was a very safe pick to be made. But he has mightily struggled, I think, in this first year. And, you know, that a lot could be said for that, right? It's because of COVID restrictions. He didn't really get a full training camp or summer league and stuff like that. So maybe that has a lot to do with it. And then he's also had some discipline issues. Um, he's been in the COVID protocol a couple of times, and he's had to miss a lot of time. And Kerr has benched him. He's moved him up to the starting rotation, then benched him for Looney. So there's been a lot of like interference going on there. So, um, you know, this has been a really rocky start to this uh, his career. But is there anything to really be concerned about long term? I think that Wiseman came into the league as a project. The Warriors drafted him basically because of potential, not really because of what he can really contribute. And the reason why I say that is that it's incredibly rare for a rookie to come, especially a rookie big. I'm mostly talking about rookie bigs at this point, but a rookie big to come out of the gate and have an immediate impact. I mean, those guys that can really do that are, are special, right? Like Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. But people like that, right? Big that, that can contribute right out the gate are extremely rare. And that's a really hard thing to ask out of anyone. So the fact is that you kind of draft Wiseman knowing that he isn't going to be a really, really good player for the Warriors, at least in the immediate short term. But definitely, like, the big thing that why as to why bigs get better is because they have a lot of experience getting up to NBA speed, figuring out what their role is, you know, do they want to be a law threat, do they want to do pick and pop, pick and roll, you know, the, the Warriors kind of have a flummoxed role with James Weissman, they don't really know what they want to do with him, and it feels like Kerr playing him a lot versus not playing him at all, they run pick and pop, pick and roll with Poole and Nico Mannion, the other rookie, versus, you know, having him strictly just kind of grab rebounds and bang in the paint. It feels like they don't really know what exactly they want James Wiseman to be right now and how they want to integrate him with Steph Curry and the rest of their offense. And so that's probably been the most frustrating part of the season to me. Not because James Wiseman is not like a good player, right? Or not that he wants to, you know, he doesn't want to get better. By all accounts, James Wiseman is a perfectionist. He's someone that is really, really hard on himself. He wants to get better. He wants to get a lot of time to play. I don't think it's him that's the problem at all, but it's rather the Warriors and how they're treating Wiseman. Frankly, at this point in the season, like I don't really see the Warriors going far in the playoffs. I said at the very beginning, right? Uh, the Warriors, they, they'll probably be a competitive first rounder, maybe even second round if in the playoffs if they manage to go that far. But at this point, the story has been the same all season, right? Stuff's been great. Draymond is reliable if and only if Stuff's on the floor. Wiggins and Oubre are, are up and down, and the bench is not really good, especially considering the fact that it's basically half, or maybe even a little bit more than half, G-leaguers and rookies at this point, right? So 
I think at this point, you kind of just play a little bit for the future. Uh, you kind of kind of stall out till until when Clay comes back and then you reevaluate with your squad and see what you got over there. But right now, they should definitely be focusing on playing Wiseman high minutes. Let him make mistakes. I don't think that Kerr is really doing a good thing keeping him twice shortly. And that's been by far the most frustrating part of the season for me. Not really giving Wiseman a chance to grow and develop. So if you're asking about the long term, I think that James Wiseman will go as far as the Warriors let him, you know? Like, if he is able to play a lot more, then I definitely think that he can be a guy that the Warriors can count upon. His ceiling is still really high, even though LaMelo and Anthony Edwards have more poten- have shown like their potential very, very quickly. You also have to consider the fact that, you know, they are guards and it's kind of easier to show your game. What you see is kind of more what you get, especially at a rookie compared to uh, when you're a big, a rookie big. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that was my main concern with the Warriors drafting James Wiseman is that, you know, they've shown how successful they can be with a lot of interchangeable centers, right? They had McGee, Pachulia, um, David West in there for a little bit. Uh, yeah. Bogut, you know, it's, and they've never really had a big impact. They didn't really need to have a big impact on the uh, game and kind of their offense. So they didn't really run a lot of, you know, pick and rolls and they don't, they're not a pick and roll team. They run a lot of motion offense, right? So it's not like the center is incredibly inherent to that, right? You set screens off ball and stuff like that, but you don't really need um, a center for that kind of offense, right? And it sometimes it's even encouraged, right? That's why they have small ball in the first place. They're a small ball kind of team. They, you know, run and go. So it was a little bit, um, I think that was the main concern is that, you know, they wouldn't really appreciate James's value I think, and yeah. kind of force him into a role that he wouldn't be able to succeed in. He doesn't have the best, highest ceiling in that kind of role. So, and unfortunately, that's kind of becoming true. And I like, I totally agree with everything you said in that James and James Wiseman has been able to, like, just let the kid play. He's a perfectionist, yes. And they always say that he's, you know, he gets really down on his mistakes. But the only way that you keep on like doing it you can't just pull him out because then that just only confirms his fears it's like oh man i'm gonna get benched now right yeah by all accounts he's probably in over his head about the you know the recent losing streak and the way the words have been playing and kind of what he's looked like in the league so far i mean it's not hard not to think about those things but at this point i think the best way to get through it as a rookie especially is to just keep playing you know he needs to get more time and i don't really understand what the rationale is behind what they're doing with him yeah, kids only 20. Like, the thing is, you know, I have famously declared Jordan Poole to be a bust after his first year. And I don't blame myself. I still think he could be a bust. But he spent some time in the G League. He got a little bit better. Um, he got his confidence. And then he started going on a scoring tear. You know, he's not the, he's still not the best player in the world. But he could be a serviceable bench guy. He could score you buckets right and he was definitely better than the atrocity that we saw last season there is and he was basically he has half the potential that james wiseman has sometimes you can't just declare a rookie a bust in the first year even though i'm still going to declare jordan Poole as that like you they still have a lot he was like one of the worst players in the league for sure his rookie (laughs) season it was it was the next level of bad i could just i didn't need any stats i just saw (laughs) from my eye test um but 
you know, James, he has a lot more potential. He has a chance to keep on growing and improving. And as long as the Warriors continue to help him and develop him, they just have to just keep on keeping the faith, right? It's just I mean, mean, that's all you can really do at this point. I mean, in my opinion, the way that I view the season is that it's kind of a watch, you know. I, I don't really see how much you can iterate upon, like, the current Warriors roster unless you see consistent play out of Ubre and Wiggins. Like, if they both suddenly went on scoring tiers and if they both tied it... I mean, they're, they're both playing great defense. Let's not forget that. But yeah. the thing Ubre, is that we, I mean, we no, need why, more... Wiggins is incredible right now. He's been incredible yeah. defensively. Yeah. Like, I, I've been a big believer in Wiggins, especially on a defensive end, ever since I saw him in the last, like, 11, 13 games after he got traded from the T-Wolves to the Warriors. But the thing is that he's looked even better this season, and he's definitely someone that the Warriors can look upon as at least providing some consistent value on one end, which is more than what he could actually say about Wiggins in any point in his career. Like, he's definitely demonstrated defensive consistency. And with a team that needs it, like the Warriors especially to hide stuff and, you know, not ha- worrying about the opponent's best player, especially during a, a playoff series. You, you want a guy that can basically be that stopper. And so you definitely see the value in Wiggins and even Ubre because Ubre can really turn it up like that as well. But the problem right now is definitely, like, the offense. I think the offense is completely abysmal. You don't really have guys that have the IQ in order to run the system as effectively as you'd like. And even if they do have like that IQ, they aren't really as talented with the ball. Like, for example, I'm thinking about Juan Toscano Anderson. He's definitely someone who's smart enough to know the offense and how to play within it, but he's not really that high-level scorer that you want to actually be a focal point of it, right? So you're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. What do you do with this team? You know, you can't really get another free agent at this point considering the cap space. You hope that Clay comes back and you definitely will see improvements because you have a guy that can give Steph a break. But also, you know, maybe it's time to look into other avenues in the future and think about what the Warriors can do with their draft picks, right? So I think before that, right, let's think about what the Warriors can and how they can finish off the season. And so what do you essentially think about the Warriors in terms of their playoff odds? Do you think they're going to make it? Playing at the best. I think it just really depends on Steph Curry's health at this point. It seems yeah. like that tailbone has really been nagging him. And, you know, I don't think Kerry's going to risk, you know, playing for a play-in. Just, like, he, is he really going to risk Steph Curry's long-term health for a play-in game? I don't think so. I think the best they will do is to get into the play-in round. Maybe, probably win. It depends. And then, you know, die to the whoever is the first seed. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have stuff that's putting up Basically, nearly almost, in my opinion, like a low key all time great carry job on offense. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors are so, so bad without Steph that it actually pains me to see. Like, he put up 37 on a bruised tailbone against the Hawks. And I mean, you see the difference with Steph, and that's like the first game with Curry back. You definitely see the difference immediately when Steph plays versus when he doesn't play. It's apparently obvious. You get games like the Raptors game, which we don't have to really go much into, but oh, yeah. We're not gonna talk it, about that. it we don't have to talk about that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they're talking about, dude. But the thing is that whenever Steph plays, the Warriors actually look like a play-in team. When 
or at the very least, are not even a playing team. At their best, they are a playoff team when Steph is, goes nuclear and he does the things that we all know he can. Mm-hmm. And that's a testament to his greatness. And it's not just a testament to his greatness, but it's a testament to how bad the Warriors are outside of Steph Curry right now. Yes, you have to appreciate Steph. Like, whatever you think of Steph, think more because this is incredible and he's not getting any attention for it. So, it's just very unfortunate to see. It's fine, you know, haters gonna hate. But Steph Curry has done a massive Curry job, I think, this season. So, let's let's just talk about, let's let's just forget this season ever happened, even though it's still happening. What do you think that they need to do in terms of free agency with the draft? What do you think they can do in order to help them contend and even maybe become title contenders next year in my opinion i think that the move is to uh i definitely think that you need to either get you need to get a mix of veterans and you need to get a mix of like high potential rookies right so ideally what i would really like to see is that the warriors kind of they don't explicitly tank right but they kind of play to what we know their team level is without stuff, and we do get a high lottery pick. Boy, I'm telling you, man, like this lottery, like the NBA draft is, they're all insane. Like the top five, top six players in the draft are, they're all so, so good. And I really would have loved to have another pick around there at the near top. That would have really helped out the Warriors. You get Wiseman, you get you get a guy like close level of a Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs, and you get another guy too because you get the Minnesota pick too, right? That's a really big chip for us in helping our future if you can land that pick, right? But we also tank as well, or not? T- yeah, we tank as well, and we get another player at that level, and we get good players on rookie contracts. You get Clay back, you get Draymond back. You get Wiseman developing another year. You get Ubre. You get Wiggins, and then they sign good veterans like the Warriors have had in the past as well, off like cheap veteran contracts and minimums. And so I think that's ideally the recipe that the Warriors should be kind of going toward. Yeah, and I think that um, rebuilding that core, that talent core for sure, is going to help. And luckily, they got that Minnesota pick. If it doesn't convey this year, it'll convey next year, and it could still be a top pick. They might, they'll probably get their own pick back, and thank God for that. So they'll be able to get all those lottery picks. Getting two lottery players will probably be a huge boost to that bench at the very least. Maybe you resend Ubre to play off the bench. You need those kind of talented players to kind of support Draymond Clay and Curry. For every Curry shot, there was a Sean Livingston mid-range jumper, right? So yeah. You always need those guys to support them. Steve Kerr and company have been very good at identifying those guys. Um, you know, sometimes you get a Wanamaker or two in there, but I think that they'll be able to find those guys. Um, and if you can get a couple of those guys and convince them to play for you, because I think that's the biggest difference right now, is that the allure of the Warriors isn't as strong because they're not as much of a title chaser as you know the Lakers and the Nets currently are. But I think that <laughs> if you can get one of those um, guys to come in here, help contribute to the culture, help... Uh, you know, score off the bench, just provide that little spark, then really the, the future is pretty bright still with Clay Thompson coming back. Um, you still got a couple of years left of that um, kind of old guard, and then hopefully there'll be a seamless transition all of the Spurs to kind of a new kind of uh, basis of the franchise. Definitely. I think that at this point, it's definitely clear that there is going to be fall off between the Warriors now and the Warriors in the future. 
even with Clay back, I don't believe that the Warriors will ever reach like those high highs where they were undisputedly the best team in the NBA. I think those days we all have to accept at this point, if not now, then, you know, if not before, then definitely now, that those days are over. You know, there's more competition in the league than ever before. And that was inspired by the Warriors. Let's not forget that. Yeah. It's not. It's true that the Warriors aren't going to completely run the league that they that they used to in the past, but you can still put in some really really good teams competing deep. You know, shooting is a skill that doesn't necessarily go away with age. You know, maybe Steph can't really do those runarounds and spin around the court and you know try to create space for other people and play off ball, but he can still be one of the. He can still be an amazing spot up shooter. I mean, it's Steph Curry yeah. and Clay. You know, you don't know if he's going to be able to be as good on the defensive end as he used to be. But, you know, shooting is something that doesn't really go away, you know, with injuries and stuff like that, right? If you're a shooter, you shoot. And I think that as long as Stephen Clay um, are able to do that, then they're still going to have a long, long future left for them. In the- yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that about wraps it up here. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. This is actually, we've actually been using a different audio recording service this time. This is brought to you by Clean Feed. And this is actually the 20th ever podcast episode of Sports Council. So a little pat on the back for us. Um, yeah, it's been a great run. Yeah. And there's plenty more episodes to come, obviously. So hope you stick with us. Um, and thank you again for listening to the podcast.